for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business, Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast and I guess Happy New Year may be in order. We thought it would be absolutely brilliant to kick off 2024 as we mean to go on and with that in mind I've got Petra Velzebor with me today to talk about our health, our mental health in particular and how we can make sure that this is a really happy healthy year for us as HR professionals, as well as the people um, that we support. So Petra, great to have you back. You're a repeat, a repeat guest. Um, would you like to position yourself and, and what it is that you do? Of course, the, Lucinda, thanks so much for having me uh, again. It's great to be here at the kickoff of 2024. I can't even believe that we're that far along. Um, so I'm a mental health consultant, uh, a TEDx speaker, a psychotherapist, and really I run a business that's all about, I guess, leading by example. Uh, and, and sort of showing people that there are other ways within our working practices to, you know, focus on high performance as well as well-being and mental health, that the two can go hand in hand. And we're seeing a lot of um, real issues these days around topics such as burnout, working culture, things like that. So, so I'm excited to be here. So with that, I mean, let's dive straight in. Are you, you say you're seeing increasing problems and, and where are you seeing those in terms of what, what does it look like and, and who do you see um, demonstrating it? So burnout is interesting because I think it's across all levels of the business. If I'm with exec teams and that sort of senior level and we talk about burnout, people recognize it for themselves. If I'm uh, along the, the sort of workforce on the front line, there's certainly burnout uh, as, as a concept. Not everyone fully understands the whole process, right? Um, we know that that HR, I mean, burnout originally was coined for people in the helping professions in the 70s. So it was, you know, nurses, doctors, uh, social workers. And if we think that's what HR generally are as well, right? They're there yes. for people. Uh, there's a higher proponent of burnout for women. If we think of the mental load at, at home, those sorts of things. Uh, and where it started with kind of three key symptoms. It's developed now into a 12 stage process. Wow. Um, it's worth, yeah, I know it, it's worth noting that everybody's different and it does, it's not like it doesn't go in a perfect order. But what we do know is that when you hit full on burnout, it can take up to two years, sometimes more to fully recover. So just to challenge the kind of, we're so busy, I haven't got time for, for the kind of tools and practical I ideas. You know, have we got time for that sort of length of recovery is what I would put out there. So you're really saying that prevention is really important if you don't want to, don't sweep it under the carpet. Process, understand this process, which I'm hoping you might take me through, actually. That sounds really interesting because we could recognise, we think we're fine, but maybe we're not. Um, and people listening there might be you know, you know, just putting a 
brave face on things, but actually you might spot some of these things um, are, are there to prevent being really. And, and when you say burnout and it takes two years to recover, what does that look like for people? So it shows up differently for different people, but it's often a combination of both physical health symptoms as well as mental health symptoms. Yes. So some some people might be more, you know, the back pain, the headaches, the, you know, um, uh, there was a, an individual who's a burnout expert who said she woke up one day and her legs weren't working. Right. So there, there can be some real extreme physical symptoms that show up. But it's emotional exhaustion, isn't it, that can show up either in, in your body or, or your mind. And it's sort of a shutdown. If we think full on burnout, it's I can no longer work, I can no longer move. Um, and so that sounds really extreme. And that's where, as you said, people are like, oh, I don't think I'm burnt out. Or we say I'm a little bit burnt out. But what does that actually mean? Are you tired from a hectic week? Or is the stress of not only work, but you know, vicarious trauma coming through at you through the news, like months and years, COVID times, like burnout is a stacking of stress over a lot of time that then culminates in these symptoms. And I guess if you're not letting go of that stress in some way, then that's where it, it just builds and builds. And at some point, like, that's all the court, you know, it blows, you blow up sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, so prevention is crucial. And I think the world that we live in is becoming less and less conducive for essentially using that prevention easily. So if we think prevention could be, and we'll go into this in more detail, but um, simply moving our bodies is a way to release stress from our body. You talked about uh, working out and tennis and walking the dogs and different things before we, we jumped on and, and recorded. All of those are actually strategies to help you prevent burnout. But if without even realizing it, you're sitting at a desk for more and more hours you move from your desk to your television to, you know, and even if you do a 45 minute workout a day, that's high intense, you know, that's not balancing out the absolute change in society that we're seeing that is less and less healthy. They really need to almost work harder at putting the stress relievers in place potentially because the stressors are are so out there. Yes, it's interesting because we were talking before we came on, weren't we? It's that, that I think one of the upsides of COVID for me was actually I got into this sort of habit of, I don't, I don't know what I don't know what happened with the dogs before we did bought them, but it was a bit more sort of varied. But this kind of get up and do something first thing in the morning and get outside. And I think that's been really, really um, important for me personally. So you were talking about the process. You said there used to be three signs of, of burnout or the process of it. And now there's 12 steps. Could you take us through that? Because I think it would be fascinating for people to see if they spot any of these things in themselves. Absolutely. And so the, the three, because some sometimes this is all that that um, kind of uh, affects people, is um, reduced empathy and compassion, which is interesting in helping professions, right? Emotional exhaustion, we mentioned, and then feeling that nothing you do makes a difference. So if I were to talk with an employee base, I would just use those three symptoms to help people have a quick little check about, oh yeah, the thing I used to love about my job. And if we think about HR, I used to love people. Now they're mildly annoying, right? Yeah. Because I'm so stressed, right? So this could be a little like, ooh, a little a checkpoint for you. And so then I'll run through the 12 and make sure you kind of, your, your audience just think about it, that it might not be linear. It might be different for different people. But interestingly, step one is proving yourself. And step two is working harder. So sometimes that doesn't make sense, right? We're, we're like, uh, we're more stressed and, and then we think, oh, let me get through my to-do list. And we actually are hustling more, right? Without those breaks. We then have neglecting your needs. 
So that beautiful morning walk with the dogs, oh, I can't do it. I've got to do something else. This is a priority, things like that. Um, Displacing conflict, I think, is an interesting one. And that means perhaps your stress stacks at work or in a particular environment, but then you end up taking it out on you know, an unsuspecting human, which could be road rage or it could be your partner or kids, right? So, so that's kind of saying, oh, my nervous system's a bit fried and, and, and wired. Um, revision of values. So again, the things that used to matter to me a lot, such as family or friends, you know, oh, I'll do that when I have time. We might deny that there's a problem. Oh, no, I'm just busy. This is normal, which society is normalizing even more, right? This, how are you? I'm busy is just yes. what you should be saying. Yeah. Even your our weekends, right? Yeah. Are absolutely yeah. maxed out. It's almost like you're not allowed not to be busy, actually, isn't it? It's a, a pressure to to be full of everything. Um, you're going against the the trend. And even you said um, something about we've got to be working harder at our well-being or stress relieving yeah. tools. And that sounds exhausting. Yeah. Right? When we think, oh, I've got to add to my to do list some meditation and a cold bath and like all the things that that the influencers out there are telling us to do. Right. Um, and actually, we can reframe that a little bit, because I think it's actually restructuring our day and our week rather than adding more to it. Yes. Right. Which I think you've successfully done, or at least on good days. It's a, certainly it's a habit. That, well, I've, I've always found that um, if you want to exercise, the best thing to do is exercise in the morning. I've always said if I, don't, if I haven't done exercise by midday, it's just not going to happen because other stuff gets in the way. So it's kind of uh, I think it's, um, actually I was lucky enough to train on the seven habits um, I run the training course when I years ago and the big rocks thing was always about put your big rocks in first so this point about values so if you value your health and exercise and well-being then that's a big rock and you need to schedule that in ahead or at least equally with other things and, and give it that priority that's one of the sort of adages and I suppose that's that's what's worked there and even sleep or connection you know that some of the basic nutrition like being able to to eat well that that could be in your in your values section there um and then the final stages just take a you can see a real dip or a crash yeah um so withdrawal behavior change inner emptiness uh depression which is stage 11 and then burnout which is stage 12 so i always find as a mental health expert that depression being number 11 is pretty interesting because I think we're seeing a lot of people, you know, go to their doctor for antidepressants or think I've got low mood, just fix that symptom and are not maybe putting it together. Right. And as, as far as the lifetime of, of kind of self-awareness to note that that depression might be a lifestyle issue that's connected to burnout rather than a chemical imbalance. Well, and again, if you exercise can help you alleviate some of that content in terms of um, sure. endorphins. And would does anxiety come into any of this? One of the things I'm just I'm just wondering about what made me think is obviously we have lots of women who are in HR and there's lots of um, hormonal changes that go on as well. And I'm thinking all of this could all mix in as well. So if you're overworked and you've got hormonal changes, um, it's all becomes really murky as to what the problems are um, there, I guess. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're hearing more about perimenopause, menopause, you know, just the hormonal changes that can last up to a decade, right? So how do we kind of piece it together? Uh, and it and it takes self-awareness. It takes, um, you know, sense checking with friends, with a therapist, a coach or, or a partner, you know, a trusted um, person to kind of help you kind of be radically honest with yourself, 
Because yeah. I think when when we actually ask ourselves some real truths, get those home truths coming, it takes a bit of reflection time, doesn't it? To, to kind of go, which bits are affecting me? And actually and to have the energy to change change things. So right. um, I've been scribbling down the order. I'm just going to check back with you because I, I I know that some people listen with process. One of, one of my good friends listens to the podcast and she's, she finds it highly irritating if I say there's there's five points and then only give four. Um, <laughs> she likes to finish things off, whereas I don't always notice. So I've got number five was revision of values. And then I don't know That's if I correct. got six properly. Just let's just run. So let me just yep. proving yourself was one. Working harder. Yeah. Um, neglecting your needs. Displaced yep. conflict. So coming home correct. and you know, going somewhere, you know, somewhere else. Starting to revision of values. So so you're not putting you're not placing priority on things that you used to place priority on in terms of values. What were the what was six? And then we've got um deni- So we've got denial of problem. Okay. And yeah. Then- I'm fine. So, so this is it. Everyone's sitting there going, oh, but I'm fine. Oh, hang on. Is that number six? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then we've got withdrawal. So perhaps you're removing yeah. yourself from even the friends who could challenge your behavior, right? Because you don't yeah. want to be called out. Um, behavior change or the 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 real term is odd behavior changes is is how it shows up on the on the list. Um, and then we've got uh, 10 inner emptiness. So that kind of like void or like I'm doing all this stuff, but I don't feel as fulfilled, which is kind of like the third of those initial three um, yeah. sort of symptoms. And then we've got depression and then stage 12 is burnout. You can't do anything else. So so all of these, and obviously it's not linear, as you said, but you might identify right. some of these things. I mean, that's one of the things I think as a line manager or as an HR professional of others that you work with, you might see someone acting out of character or disproportionately cross about something like that. And those are signs, aren't they, of someone being um, being stressed in terms of those ways. Um, it, you know, what, what, what advice have you got for us, as I say, not to add something on in terms of this? If it, someone's going, actually, I am identifying this myself. So being brutally honest to ourselves as well as helping others, what can we do? So I think the starting point is ourselves. And what a better, you know, it's a beautiful way to kick off a year, right? Is to think, um, let me reflect and think about what, how do, how am I feeling and what do I need? So when it comes to ourself, there's, there's two things. So there's the environmental factors. What's your home situation like? What is the, your work process, your habits, like you said, habit stacking. Um, And, and what is the personal element, right? So what are the things in my control that I can do regardless of what environment I'm in? And sometimes, you know, we're seeing lots of HR people change jobs or, or even move from the profession or move from the types of organizations that perhaps that, that environment is toxic, right? And mm-hmm. so those are really useful changes um, that, that, that are an essential place to start. And I say to start because it's leading by example that affects our people. Right. And how many HR have you met or have I met who know all the stuff up in their head? Right. And they're like, I've read the books and I know the skills. And when you get them one to one and you go, well, are you actually doing these things? That's when sort of the whispers come out and they go, oh, no, I just don't have time for it. And I think that's part of what the issue is, is like, well, if we can't model the behaviors or be vulnerable with our own teams, you know, how can we be telling other people to do these things? And it is interesting, isn't it? Because I, I mean, it is. HR is quite a female thing. So I'm thinking, I've touched on the hormones thing, but you've also got HR professionals 
um, particularly sorts of middle managers or a lot of people who are independent and working for themselves, they tend to have also family responsibilities, maybe children and also um, often parents as well. So kind of that sandwich generation. So it's not just work pressures. It's it, 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 you can see why people end up feeling like they put themselves last. And this is, this, I mean, I've talked about this before, um, this whole sort of concept of um putting your own oxygen mask on first i remember a couple of years ago, it was in covid and i looked at all of our self of all the hr uprising podcast episodes you know ones about change or culture they they got the maximum downloads something about my well-being it's like oh no it's almost that you can see it in the sort of the extent to which people engage with this content so i do definitely challenge our listeners out there you know we, we, yes, there's so much going on. Why are we? Why are we not putting ourselves first? I guess. Well, well, there's two things. One is I wrote a LinkedIn post recently that said the the concept, the metaphor of putting your oxygen mask on first, I think, was created by men because the reality is that often you're doing it at the same time, right? You're yeah. putting, you know, you, you older parents, yeah. like you said, younger children, like it's like it's nice. It's a nice as a concept but put it into real working practice. And I don't relate to it personally, right? I, I just don't. Um, yes, it's it's good to invest in ourselves, but I think um, there, I mean, women are more likely to be people pleasers. Um, I, I love, there's a great book called Boundary Boss by, by Dr. Terry Cole that has real practical tools about people pleasing and boundary setting, because it's not just tips for boundary setting. It's like, what's the emotional trigger that comes up when we do those things, right? And then I think the reason people are engaging less with well-being is because they think they sort of know it, which yeah. means they think they're going to be told to take bubble baths there and they're going to leave with a sense of shame that, oh, I know these things, but I don't do them. And so I want to challenge the concept of well-being to be one uh, about cr creating the life that you want, um, being radically honest and doing the things that work for you. So it's not about doing 20 things because some influencer told you all the things, right? It's doing one thing because you know that that's going to help you right now at this stage of your life, right? So so learning to think for ourselves when it comes to this, that's where I would want to come come at it from. So, I mean, and that's interesting because so the, the, the de-stressors will vary from one person to the next. So someone might want to read a book or, you know, go for a chat with a friend or um, exercise. Are there any real I'm, I'm hesitate to say silver bullet but you know what I mean what, what what are the sort of universal de-stressors if I if I'm going to be very effective at managing my stress um what sort of things should I be trying to do so uh, yeah I'd hesitate to do the silver bullet thing I mean we've got some foundational elements right like nut nutrition movement these sorts of things um but I would also say you know the best thing for your well-being might be to have the difficult conversation you've been putting off right right so that now we've released this thing that I know I've got to do but it's stressing me out and and we sort of feel it and that we carry it with us right so having those those difficult conversations owning who you are and what you want it takes bravery it's tough right and and I think it's about community as well it's not just it, it you know self-help comes across as like I must do all these things by myself for myself but it's actually about community laughter connection um, and so then the the other element that I think is really relevant today is around um, your, our digital well-being. So are we, what are our boundaries around our devices? And uh, this is tough because they're set up to be addictive, right? But how do we 
not only switch off, but create the relationship with with digital that that we actually want um, and and create accountability with friends and colleagues to, to support us to do that. And then, of course, there's meeting culture and workplace inefficiencies, and I can dive into that if it helps. Yeah, let's do that. So let's do, I mean, the digital one, I think, is actually really fascinating because a lot of us feel really busy. And then you find you pick up your phone. The problem is you use your phone for quite a lot of things that legitimately, but if you get yourself sucked into something and before you know, time has disappeared. Um, I mean, my son, my son um, he's 17, and I was really impressed at the weekend. He said, I'm not getting stuff done enough. He's, I've deleted so he's deleted Instagram and TikTok. He's kept Snapchat so that he can still chat with friends. And I'm like, fair play to you. He said, yeah. oh, my phone's so boring now. <laughs> but, you know, it's almost like you need to take away this temptation. I mean, I, I find actually that I have to put my phone out of my peripheral vision. I saw a study on something like that. If you can actually see it, you're almost having to use your, um, it says you're using your uh discipline almost so it's another stressor to stop you from picking it up so if you put it out of sight then or in another room then you can actually be more productive but all these I things mean, you need to miss. I, I do the same thing <laughs> i'm like put phone in kitchen you know um but also check how much your phone pings for unnecessary things such as if you have news notifications or things that essentially are triggering your nervous system to That's... be in fight or flight or survival mode not to mention the science about every time we switch tasks, right? It takes us however many minutes to get back into, into flow and focused work. It's hugely inefficient as much as it's claiming to be our efficiency tool. I mean, this is a really valid. So again, all this goes into sort of how can we be more effective? So you feel like you've got no time. I completely agree. All of my notifications are silent on those days and also lock out time at night. So those things don't come through uh, in, in terms, in terms of that. But lots and lots of people you hear in the pings, pings, pings. Um, going on and you can see it's triggering and I and the same sort of thing I would say before we had phones I remember I teach time management and you know people having whether it's Skype or Teams now or whatever it is or a ping in your inbox every time that's coming in I say not only is that sort of strict um, triggering you but it's a distraction from your flow and I definitely get into more flow work if my phone is in a different room and you go, oh, gosh, I've been working I, and I haven't even realized it's not there. Whereas, you know, on other times it's right by me, I could be picking it up every 20 minutes. So that's so, let's take that into the workplace in terms of practical things there. So those are some practical things that all of us could do um, to probably claim some time back. And then if we're more effective, then you've got more time to do the things that de-stress you. So we're, you know, we have the same amount of time as we did 10, 20 years ago, right? And yet we are more stressed and overwhelmed while claiming to have all these efficiency tools, right? And so this is the biggest um, kind of barrier is people saying, I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time. But have you checked your device and like how much time, I think it's on average four hours a day that people are on their devices, right? this is this is time and then there's um things like inefficiencies around meeting cultures at work and so my team at the beginning of 2023 so a whole year ago we're finding we're a small team but that meetings were creeping up and everyone had to attend and we didn't even intentionally do it it just stacked over time which is what i'm seeing in a post-covid world is like we had to do everything digital and now we're like trying to unlearn or patchwork on top policies around connection and belonging when you're like maybe we need less of something rather than more of something and so we quite radically erased all of our meetings from our diary except for one team meeting we took out every single repeat meeting every one-to-one absolutely everything and um, which might sound quite extreme and takes a bit of uh, organization if you're a, a big team 
But my goodness, we have so much time in our working day so that we don't have to work overtime. And we think, how in the world is such a small team getting so much done? That's partly why, right? So I, I want people to, to kind of challenge their, their meeting culture to support with this. I mean, that's interesting. I had a conversation last week with a colleague and how we'd had to jump on, we jumped on something and we had four people. It's also, does everyone need to be there? Do I need right. to be there? Could we have fewer people? Because also more people makes the meeting last longer, doesn't it? But in terms and of what the purpose. There, yeah, you, you, what you just did there, Petra, though, you said you took all your one-to-ones and team meetings out. I mean, one of the challenges in some organisations is that they don't talk enough and people aren't aligned. So were there, is there a minimum or was there any consequence of you taking those meetings out? So I think it's useful to note that we have a level of psychological safety and communication, trust and autonomy as a baseline in the business, right? Um, yes, it was an evolution and we had to kind of transition. But what we 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 said was, if anyone needs a meeting, um, you know, you we do voice notes, we do calls, we do async documents, we do we have a whole load of ways that we communicate. We're on Slack, sort of different things, and everyone is responsible for requesting what they need in order to be the best at their job, yeah. right? So if someone says to me, "Hey, can we talk something through?" Of course, does it need to be a Zoom meeting with everyone, or can it be a quick voice call? Because don't you find people fill up the amount of time that they have, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll be on 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 meetings with companies, and there'll be four or five people from their end, and just one of us. And we're thinking, is this really necessary? So I think it's just asking radical questions. Every business is going to be different, but we we need to unlearn a few things in order to create space for innovation and creativity. That's interesting. Um, one of the things I think we're talking about here is actually valuing your own time, and isn't it? And thinking about how much time you do need. And I was thinking how you definitely modelled that when we, even from when we booked the podcast, whether it need to be half an hour or forty five minutes, and you checked at the start of the conversation, how long do we need it to be? So it's always if if, if you're having that kind of sense of my time's valuable, and, and I think it's about you know this is a valuable thing to do, but I my time is valuable because I want to be able to go and do the stuff for me, go for that walk or do whatever it is that's um, beneficial rather than letting someone else be in control of the time. So it's it's interesting there. You, I've noticed and, you've definitely demonstrated that and that's quite a key. That, yeah, thank you. Absolutely. And I think for HR, it's like, see what you can pilot or experiment in your smaller team, your engagement, DEI, HR, whoever that kind of group is, because so often that group is advising other people right? You should, meeting culture, whatever, but are doing the same things, right? And so that could be a first start, your little microcosm of a department, like ask yourself how we work. Is it efficient, effective, and supporting people's well-being and performance, or is it not? So ask some radical questions, uh, take some radical action, and know that you can, hey, if you want to fill all the meetings back in, you're allowed to, right? It's not anything that's that's fixed, but it's it's having more of an experimenter's mindset. One thing that that's made me think about, which which could work for HR professionals, because one of the things they often feel is that, you know, say someone comes along with a problem and that's their whole afternoon wiped out um, and, and it's things like that. So it's maybe setting parameters around when you are available for drop ins and setting that expectation that it's a 25 minute meeting or, you know, rather than it's obviously an hour or so. So setting that kind of just parameters or expectations or ways in which people could book in for a specific amount of time would would give its boundaries really again isn't it that might make life a lot easier for people maybe that's something yeah. to think about in terms of a new year's resolution for people could could you put in use technology to make it easier to to structure boundaries for you um giving you more Beautiful. time to do everything yeah. else 
and, and even just penciling in your mornings or whenever your brain is at its best for um, focused work, you know, put, you know, we've got our shared calendar and we've got gym, kids being picked up. We've got yeah. everything completely open on there yeah. uh, because it's about trusting your people and trusting yourselves. Absolutely. And blocking that time out for you. Absolutely. I completely agree. Great. Okay. So in the interest of time, I think we've been quite focused, haven't we, in terms of this, we've identified um, you know, how to how to recognize signs of burnout in yourself and in others. Um, and there's quite a few aspects to that. And we've got, gone through our 12 points there. Um, we've talked about boundaries, focusing on what's in our control, taking responsibility, accepting that it's not realistic that you're going to put your own oxygen mask on first, but at least in parallel um, in terms of these sort of things, creating the life you want. I like that. So taking a step back, you know, it's January 2024. What do I want that to be? It is creating that life I want. And therefore, what do I need to schedule in in terms of habits? Um, maybe what do I need to restrict in terms of the things that steal my time, like um, digital devices, et cetera, being radically honest with ourselves as to, to what's, what we're doing that's working and what we're doing that's not working. So not this. So the key is here, this isn't something that, it's like they say with diets, isn't it? It's not about having something that's, a, um, you know, complete, I'm going on a diet. It's actually, how can I flip the way I'm living my life on my on its head to make it work better for me and in turn my well-being. Absolutely. How can we um, think differently? And when when I like to focus on, you know, a year from now, what do I want to be different? So that sort of goal setting. I like to start with how I want to feel. People don't often start with this. They think about maybe, you know, maybe their their salary or where they're living or real practical things. And that's great. But, you know, all the science of happiness states that the more you get doesn't necessarily equate to more happiness. Right. So I kind of like to think, you know, I want to be energized. I want to feel content. I want to feel fulfilled with my kids, with my work colleagues, whatever it might be. And kind of mind mapping that first in order to say, oh, what is the environment or the conditions that would help me to feel those things more often? So it's kind of a flip on it. But I think that's, for me, what putting well-being at the heart of it is. Yeah, I like that being the feeling because I think it's probably more motivational for some people as well. Um, to get, how do I want to feel? And it may well be different if people are feeling frazzled at the moment after a busy festive period, then it actually could well be a good a good way to um, you know flip. What, how do I want to feel this time next year? What do I need Absolutely. to do? And your goals might actually end up being different, but you'll feel like a things, right? So maybe the job didn't change, but you changed yourself, right? Um, and so those goals can be a little bit more flexible then. I like it. I was, I was just going to go into like people then and toxic people, but I think I opened up another thing. I think, <laughs> oh, I don't want to be with that person. That's all that all those things. We talked about toxic cultures, but being in an environment that makes you feel right. That's, uh, yeah. that's cool. So um, Petra, if people want to get in touch with you and your business, would you like to just share how they can get hold of you? Obviously, I'll put links in the show notes as well. Please. So um, check out my website. It's just my name, petravelzebor.com. I've got, got my book there as well that highlights the 12 stages of burnout and some of these tools and resources. So please do um, check that out. Uh, and LinkedIn is the place where I post lots of stuff. So feel free to connect with me there. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Petra, and wishing you a very successful 2024. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. 
It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.